0: Matthew chapter 3. And before we read what I have there in the third chapter of Matthew, I want to bring a couple of points before you. In Romans chapter 10, we read these words, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word faith in this verse means this. It means conviction, assurance, trusting. These attributes, these three attributes, conviction, assurance, and trusting, come to God's chosen people through the preaching of His Word. We grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior. Through the preaching of God's Word, I am convicted of what I am before thrice holy God. God's Word tells me that I am but a worm I know that now. I used to think I was somebody. And then the Lord showed me the truth of who I truly am. A sinner. A a sinner who was condemned unclean. Unclean, unclean. I was that man over in the side. Unworthy of anything that God has to offer Nothing of my own to offer God. Nothing that he would accept of this flesh. By the preaching of God's word, I'm convicted of what I am before a thrice holy God. Through the preaching of God's word, I am assured that Christ Jesus is the deliverer of his people. God was manifest in the flesh. We looked at this last week. The purpose of God. Purposed. Jesus Christ was purposed to come to this world, to be made of flesh, to be born of a woman, of a virgin, without sin, without the nature of sin. It was purposed by God for him to come to this world and sacrifice himself for his people. That was not an accident. It was by the determinate counsel of God. He came willingly He came with a joy in his heart of what was to be at the end, what the result of his coming was. I'm assured of this through the preaching of my Lord's word. Through the preaching of God's word, I trust he can and will do what he says he will do. As God, who can turn his hand Is there anything that is outside the realm of our Lord? Is it possible that one of his chosen people, one for whom he shed his blood, could ever go to hell? That's not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture says, Jesus came to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. Here's the chief who stands right, behind, right before you. Chief of sinners right here. God's people are full of chiefs. We're all chiefs. (laughs) Chief of sinners. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, we read these words, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm assured of that because God has said it. They shall be saved. But it also says in that same chapter, verse 14, How then shall they call... On him in whom they have not believed. How are you going to call on somebody that you've never believed in? How are you going to call on somebody if you're believing in another Jesus? There's another Jesus out there and you and I both know it. It's not the Jesus of scripture. It's the Jesus of man's own imagination. It's a Jesus that men have developed in their own imagination to fit whatever they see is right. That's why we have thousands of different religions. We have hundreds, if not thousands, of different Christian religions. You can go back there to Kentucky or Tennessee, and you'll see a different re- uh, Christian religion on each corner. Why do we need four different religion Christian religions? Because there's four different types of people there that, that think of Christ in a different way. They look at a Christ of their own imagination rather than the Christ of scriptures. How are you going to believe on one you have not heard? And how shall you believe in him in whom you have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But it also says this in verse 16 of that same chapter. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Who has believed the report that God has given of his word? I pray this morning that our Lord may be pleased to open our hearts to his word this day. That he might strengthen our conviction. That he might strengthen our assurance that he might strengthen our trust through the preaching of his word. Did you know that it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, this, he says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now listen to these next words. So by the obedience of one. Does that not boggle your mind? You know, we we try to the best of our human ability to explain things. There are certain things about God that we just cannot explain. How can you explain God, almighty, almighty, majestic God, becoming flesh, to be a servant of of those he was made flesh for. How can you explain that in words that our minds can comprehend? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness. He who knew no sin was made sin, that we who are sin would be made righteous in him. That's Eric Floyd preached a message on this just recently. If you want to look that up somewhere uh, uh, I think I think it's under Eric Floyd in, in uh, Sermon Audio. Wonderful, wonderful message on that, on that verse. As good as any preacher that I've ever heard preach on it. It's called titled The Gospel in One Verse. I hope you enjoy it. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Christ had to obey. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed his Father's will. He was obedient to his Father's demands. The holiness of God demands holiness. He is so holy, he cannot even be in the presence of sin. Yet God... The sign was, wasn't he? I don't know how to explain that, but he was. I'm assured of it. It says it's so in his word. The holiness of God demands holiness. He demands perfection. He demands justice for those who have broken his holiness. And he demands righteousness. And the people of God have none of these of their own. We have all gone astray... We have all sought our own way. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yet God sent his son to be our substitute. To stand in our stead. To fulfill what we could not. And his son did what he was sent to do. Exactly that. Listen to these words of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. Isn't that amazing? He who knows all things, learned. See why we can't explain some of the mysteries of God? How can you explain that? He who knows everything, learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In 1 Peter 1, verse 2, we read this, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, those of you who were chosen in God the Son before the world ever was made, Through a foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification, that means through being made holy of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ shed upon that cross was the obedience to God the Father. That's what God the Father sent him to do. He not only paid the price, paid the full price of our sins. With his own holy blood, he established a perfect righteousness for his elect, for his chosen people. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, we just mentioned it a moment ago. For he hath made him, for God had made the Son, him, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Christ was made sin, folks, but to believe this, he was never a sinner. He never sinned. Everything he did was perfect. Everything he did pleased the Father to the full we're going to read that in just a moment here. And to do that he must be exposed to be made the righteous, to be made sin, that we might be the made the righteousness of God in him. to do that he must be exposed to what we are exposed to in this world of temptation and death. Are you with me in Matthew chapter 3? Look at verses 13 through 15, if you would, with me in Matthew chapter 3. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized. He came to John the Baptist to be baptized. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Over in Mark, John says, I'm not even worthy to tie, to latch the shoe the sandal of of my Lord. I'm not even worthy to that. How is it you're coming to me and asking me to baptize you? But go on. I need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou unto me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Our Lord came to John the Baptist to be baptized because that was the fulfillment of righteousness. Not all the fulfillment, but that was part of it. That was something he had to do. He came to be baptized in obedience to his Father. He came to fulfill it. Then it goes on and says, Then he suffered him. We see here plainly that Christ came to fulfill all righteousness. Now look at verses 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight away out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And, lo, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God accepted the perfect obedience of his Son. He accepted the obedience of his son and the picture that baptism was. What is baptism? It's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. What did the Lord say to his disciples? We must go up to Jerusalem. The elders and the chief priests, they must scourge me. They must beat me. They must humiliate me. They must do this. They must do that. I must go to the cross. He mentions it three times in the book of Mark. In three different ways, but it's all the same thing. He must do this. This is what Christ was purposed to do. And he was purposed to do it for love for you and I. That God might be gracious to a sin people, sinful people who are undeserving, unworthy. That's the grace of God. Sending his son for our sakes. Death, burial, and resurrection. And to express that to the fullest, Christ must also be tempted as we are. Turning your Bibles now over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter four. And while you're turning there, allow me to read from Hebrews four fifteen. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Our God made himself to be our high priest. A high priest under the after the order of Melchizedek, perfect, one who had no beginning and no ending. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Our Lord knows what you and I go through. He knows when we hunger, He knows what that feels like. He knows what it feels like to thirst. He thirsted, He tired, He needed to rest. He slept in the bottom of a ship while the sea tossed about, throwing the ship back and forth. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points. All points. Can you understand the depth of that? Another wondrous mystery of God in the flesh. 100% God. Absolutely perfect in everything he did. Not one thing could ever be laid to the charge of our Savior if God the Father had not made him to be sent for us. Perfect. The deity of God. Yet the deity of God could not die in the spirit. Flesh had to be established that Christ may die for his people. But in all points was tempted as we are yet without sin. Are you with me in Luke chapter 4? I'm going to read 13 verses, and then we're going to come back and look at these verses uh, in three points. Luke chapter 4, this is right after. Now, Luke gives us the uh, chrono- the genealogy of, of Christ Jesus, uh, but after that, Luke goes right into this. this. This is In Matthew, this comes right after what we read. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. God Almighty led his son out into the wilderness. That means that God purposed it, doesn't it? If Christ the Spirit, God the Spirit, led His Son out into the wilderness, does that not mean He purposed it to be that way? He purposed his son to go through what we are about to read. Verse 2, being 40 days tempted. Not only did he purpose him to go out there and be tempted of it, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. Can you imagine? I can't go a day without eating something. I don't understand fasting. I know it's supposed to be good for you, and I'm not putting it down. Forty days without eating or drinking anything. Forty days eating nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus, in verse 4, answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's my title this morning. It is written. Verse five. I'll come back to that more in a moment. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is the deliver that it for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me and shall be my All shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Verse 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Now in order to save us from our sins, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not only became a man so that he could die for us as our substitute, But he humbled himself as a man. He was manifest in the likeness of men in flesh. Who can truly understand the depth of his humiliation? Let us simply bow. Let us simply bow before the revelation of God in the Holy Scriptures and worship the one who thought, who though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might be made rich. In order to redeem and save his people, the Lord Jesus Christ had to live in perfect obedience. He had to live in perfect obedience to God the Father while enduring the consequences of our sin. He must triumph over Satan, yet suffer the wrath of God to the full satisfaction of God's justice. He must bring in everlasting righteousness as a man. One great part of our Master's obedience... Was his temptation in all points. As a man, he is, and his overcoming temptation, he triumphed over Satan that he might be for us a merciful and faithful priest that I spoke of a moment ago in things pertaining to God, that he might make intercession for you and I. This is what we have before us here in Luke chapter 4 our Lord's temptation as you and I. He had to establish a perfect righteousness. Well, if God would have said, Well, we're not going to give you any temptation, then he wouldn't have known what you and I have to go through. I mean, I know God knows everything. He would have known. But he had to he had to defeat temptation in our stead. And it was real. That temptation was just as real as what tempts you and I. Immediately after our Lord's baptism, that's what we read in Matthew, the Lord began to be harassed by Satan. He suffered being tempted. And he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He was tried and tested in all sorts of temptations, just as you and I are, yet he had victory over his temptations. And he did, no sin. Satan tempted him by not stirring up some corruption or provoking some kind of a lust in him like you and I have. That's what he does. He tempts us through the corruption that is in us, through the sin that is in us, through the lust that is in us. David's an example of that. He was tempted with Satan, stirred up David's pride. When David was sick, when David decided I'm going to count Israel and the Lord told him not to. He said I'm going to number Israel. That's what that means. Counting. How many people do we have in our, you know, in our congregation? You know, the Lord tells us not to do that. He's responsible for how many people are here, not me. David's pride as king of Israel was flared up by the devil. When the devil stirred up his pride and his vanity that was in him to number the people, he was tempted in the lust of the eye. When he looked down from the rooftop and saw Bathsheba, he was, test, he was tested with the lust that was in his heart for Bathsheba, for that pretty woman that was on the roof below him. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh of the flesh when he took Bathsheba to be his own but folks I tell you today there was no sign of corruption in our Lord though the devil tried to tempt our Lord as he could our Lord defeated it perfectly but you notice the way he defeated it all three times he says as it is written how did I open the service this morning How did I open the services? Looking into the word of God. Preaching of his word. Coming out of the world. Coming here to this wonderful place our Lord has provided. And hearing the message of God preached from his word. Our Satan has no advantage over our Lord by any of his temptations. Yet our Lord was obedient, yet tempted. Our Lord's temptations came in the wilderness over Matthew and Mark and Luke. They tell us that the temptations took place out in the wilderness, away from everyone, away from God's people, where there was no one around him. There was nothing to support him of this world. Mark tells us that he was there exposed to the wild beasts the very animals that he created. Matthew and Luke tell us that his temptations came after he had been miraculously sustained from hunger. God's the one, God the Father is the one who kept him from dying of hunger out there. God the Father is the one who sustained his needs in fasting for 40 days. It's important for us to see this. Our master's temptations came at a time when he was physically weak and hungry. Satan came to him at a very cunning time. Aha! Maybe I can get the master already. Look how weak he is. The master of deceit deceived himself. (laughs) Folks, you and I are not... We are not, oh, I know the words on the tip of my tongue. (laughs) We are just as acceptable today to the master of deceit's deception as we have always been. Just because we are saved does not keep us from the temptations of the devil. hear several amends. Amen. What a battle to fight it. You know what your temptations are that you fall into. Don't need to talk about them. We know, don't we? We are still subjected to all of the temptations that that the devil can throw our way, there's often only one step between great privileges of blessings and great trials and troubles. As your pastor, I get to see that often in many of you. Dear Brother who was on top of the world just a few days ago called this morning in total tears. On his knees in private praying Lord help me with this. Help me with the temptation that I have fallen into. And it was only four or five days ago when he told me how great things were that the Lord was working in his life. I want to talk about three great evils that we can watch and pray for. We must never forget this. Even our, our most solemn friends at any time of our greatest usefulness, we must always watch and pray that we do not fall into these three great evils. First John 2.15, we read these words, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, there is one. The lust of the eyes, there is two. And the pride of life, there is three. I'm going to have to go quickly to get through all three of them. Those three things is not the, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So let's consider first, if you would, the lust of the eyes. Read with me again, verses one through four. Luke chapter four, beginning at verse one. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led of the Spirit into the wilderness being 40 days tempted of the devil and in those days he did eat nothing and when the and when they were ended he afterward hungered and the devil said unto him if thou be the son of god command this stone that it be made bread and jesus answered him saying it is written that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of god now here satan tried to get our lord jesus to distrust his father's care God the Father had just sustained his son for 40 days of fasting and here the devil is now you're hungry come on you have the power turn this rock into bread and you can eat he's tempting our Lord with the easiness of his own power he's tempting the Lord to distrust his father's care the care for him that which had just sustained him for the last 40 days and nights without food Our Savior was hungry and he was weak, but he just received the public declaration before that by which his father owned him as the son of God. This is my son, he declared, and who I am well pleased. And here Satan offers him kind of a simple suggestion. Come on, it's not that big a deal. The sense of this is this: the devil pointed to the rock and said this, since you're the Son of God and you're hungry, why don't you just turn the rock into a loaf of bread and take a bite of it? If you're the if you're if you're truly, if you're truly. Isn't that what the, the scribes and the Pharisees said to our Lord? If you be God, if you be who you say you are, tell us plainly. I did tell you, says the Lord, and you believe not, because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Our Lord refused. He refused to turn that stone into bread because he refused to live by carnal reasons. Yeah. I would have fallen for it if I had the power and I was that hungry. Don't have to wait 40 days. I'll do it in two. I'll do it tomorrow if I could. Right. Christ refused to live by carnal reason. He refused to walk by sight he was determined to live by faith, trusting the word of God. He would not turn the stone into bread because it was not his father's will. If it was his father's will, his father would have done it. Next we see the lust of the flesh. Look with me at verse Satan tried to entice the Holy One into sin by the lust of the flesh. By worldliness, he tried to get the Lord Jesus to take worldly power by compromise. Look at verses 5 through 8. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is the delivered unto me to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The devil took the Lord Jesus by his permission upon the top of a, a mountain. Surrounding Jerusalem, and he looked down upon all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you'll just fall down and worship me, I'll give it all to you. What nonsense. What a picture of man. Lord, if you'll just do this for me, I'll give you me. Lord, if you'll just save me, I'll make a decision for you. For Satan to promise these things to Christ is about as foolish as you and I saying salvation is according to my will. According to my decision. God's word says salvation is of the Lord. Period. Our Lord made it all. Where does the devil think he can give God anything? Everything was made for him, by him, and through him. Isn't that what scripture says? What foolishness for the devil to say, I will give you this. Let me ask you this. Whose permission was needed in the book of Job? I can't do anything to this man you call your servant, Lord. I can't do anything. You've made a hedge around him. You know what? I give you my permission is what God said. Go ahead and do what you will with him. Just don't kill him. Who had to have permission to move against Job? And here he decide, And here he tells the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll give you this. <laughs> the devil appeals to our master to bypass the misery and the agony of the cross. That's what that was all about. If you'll give this, I'll give you this and you won't have to go to the cross. The devil had no idea of the truth of why Christ had to go to that cross. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people. Not maybe, not might, but shall. I love the shalls of God's word. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Oh, great words. The concession might have seemed small to some, but the promise is great. The way was easy. Why should he not take the easy way out? Why should he not grab such an enormous prize? Why shouldn't we? Well, the answer is found in our master's quotation of Deuteronomy 6.13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Folks, we are to worship God and God alone and serve his, and serve him alone. The glory of God must be a dominant concern for each and every one of his people. For that, for the glory of God, we ought to be gladly sacrificing anything to be able to serve Him. Now, that doesn't mean that we give up everything we have to go down and feed the, 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 the poor. It means that we come away from the world to worship Him when we call to worship. It means that we go into our closet when the when we have our problems and we pray to Him who is worthy to be prayed to. It means that we accredit to him all things. When that light turns red and the next one turns red and the next one turns red, thank you, Lord. I don't know what you saved me from, but I know it's for my good. When that little cuts in front of your semi and makes you slam on your brakes to keep from killing people, thank you, Lord. Don't know why. Why? Something happened there to save, to save me from myself. James James understands. I know the rest of you. I lost all the rest of you in that truck driving situation, but you got to trust me. As a truck driver, we know that's what I was meaning. <laughs> Next week, I'll talk about golf. Lastly, I want to bring this up, and we'll bring this to a close. Lastly is the pride of life. Satan tempted our Lord, the Son of God, with the pride of life, urging him to act with daring presumption. Look at verses 8 through 13. No, 9 through 13. And he brought him to Jerusalem, speaking of the devil, bringing our Lord to Jerusalem, to where all the people were. Now picture this. All the people in Jerusalem were still walking around on the streets. Everybody was coming in and out of the temple, going about their day. He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. Ooh, isn't that strange? The devil used God's word to try and tempt our Savior. For it is written, He shall give His angels to charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest any time thou shalt dash the foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. This quote that we saw, For He shall give His angels charge over thee to keep thee in all ways, that's from Psalms 91:11. In fact, one of Satan's favorite weapons is to use the Bible, isn't it? Isn't that what he did with Adam and Eve? He said, Oh, thou shalt not surely die. There was the lie. And then he told the truth. Your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, and you shall know good and evil. That was true. He used the word of God against his own against the Adam and Eve. Actually, against Eve. He deceived Eve. And in this, the Lord referred to the devil in Deuteronomy chapter 6.16 where it says, "Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Messiah. For the Lord of glory to have heeded Satan's temptation would have been an act of self-exaltation. It would have been raising himself up in front of all the people. Everybody would have seen it. Everybody would have said, Oh, it has to be this Son of God, isn't it? Look there, the angels came down and saved him. What did our Lord come to this world to do? To be a servant. To humble himself and be a servant to his people. Sinners who needed saving. If he'd have heeded to Satan's temptation, he'd have exalted himself in pride. He'd have been tempting God his Father. He would have not been trusting God his Father. He would have not uh, uh, yielded to the glory of his Father. And that glory is more important to him than the approval or the applause of men. I pray that that may be with you and I also. Our Lord Jesus Christ is just. He is uh, just the Savior and the great high priest that you and I need. In Hebrews 2.18 we read these words for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted he is able to secure them that are tempted. Listen to these words of Hebrews chapter 4. So then, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tipped and tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As our Savior foiled Satan in the wilderness and crushed his head at Calvary, so he knows how to deliver you and I out of our temptations. And blessed be his name, he will. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.